Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. I put black women at the center of this movement, knowing that everybody would get what they need. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly, from Me Too to Me First, the black woman's reckoning. In our Revolt Black News exclusive interview, Me Too founder Tarana Burke on how black women's struggle to be heard has evolved since her hashtag went viral more than five years ago. There is a white woman machine in this country. Mainstream media took hold of hashtag Me Too. Including the hard conversation about our allies, White women. You know what I expect of white women? Not a damn thing. Nothing. And black men and how they can stand up for black women. There has been some hesitancy for black men to accept black women as as equal leaders. Plus, why Gen Z has had it with the ride or die mentality. What's happening now is that black women are not standing for being put to the side. We are centering ourselves in the conversation. And why so many black woman kings are putting down their swords and opting for the soft life. This is uh, an important era for young black women because they're recognizing now that they do not have to leave themselves behind. All that and more as the Black News Revolution starts right now. Welcome to our conversation with Tarana Burke, founder of the Me Too movement. It's been more than five years since Me Too blew up. And even though Tarana says she created the movement for black women, many feel it's been co-opted by white women, something that's happened several times in history. Me Too. The Me Too movement. The Me Too movement at the heart of a bitter national flashpoint. Tarana Burke spent decades doing community work around the issue of sexual violence, working mostly with black and brown girls. In 2006, she started using the hashtag MeToo to encourage survivors to share their stories. Several allegations of sexual harassment against movie producer Harvey Weinstein. Then, in 2017, news broke about Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein being a predator, and suddenly the issue of sexual assault was front-page news, and Me Too, a trending hashtag. Actress Alyssa Milano started the movement Sunday with this tweet. Except it didn't come from Tirana. The whole world is talking about Me Too. Yeah. What was your reaction when you woke up and <laughs> saw that Me Too was everywhere? I was overwhelmed. I was a little nervous. This is... It sounds like you were more than a little nervous. It, it was, you were kind of panicking. I was panicking. <laughs> I was definitely panicking. I mean, I had been... I had tried so hard to build this into something that I thought that the world needed. I thought survivors... I thought black survivors needed this, right? 
And, and I think my world really revolved around us, around our community and our work. So I didn't, I wasn't doing the work to, to the exclusion of anybody else, but I was laser focused on what I needed to do to help black women and girls. It was so hard <laughs> already to try to get people to focus on the survivorship, the trauma in our own community that I knew nobody would believe that I had already been doing this work for so long to bring attention to our pain. And now you got the whole world focusing on white women in Hollywood. There was no way they're gonna be like, oh, but wait, there was this black woman way, way back who started doing this. They, that, I would be a footnote to that, you know? I knew that that would happen. I, you know, we'd seen that happen before. There's a long history of black women being erased from their own work, their contributions to society often unrecognized. People don't want black women to be the face of things, right? Black women were left out of the parades and the women's suffrage events, even though behind the scenes, they played such a pivotal role. Black women suffragettes like Sojourner Truth, my favorite Ida B. Wells, Maria Stewart put into helping women and more specifically black women get the right to vote. Black women started the Black Lives Matter movement, right? And oftentimes when we think about the, the people that are most impacted by police violence, it's black men. We don't think about the black women and girls who've been harmed by police because people don't want to see us at the forefront of any, any sort of movement. People prefer to see someone like Alyssa Milano at the front of any movement and it sounds better and it looks better and maybe it'll get more traction if she's at the forefront than if it's someone like myself or Tarana Burke. You did get credit for being the originator. Um, mm -hmm. And that is to the credit of black women. Who, Absolutely. Who stood up and said, um, excuse me. Absolutely. Respectfully, Miss Alyssa Milano, there was somebody doing this work a long time before mm -hmm. you. But it still came to be represented mostly by mm -hmm. famous white women. Yeah. Do you feel that that overshadowed the trauma and the struggle of women of color, of women who are not famous, who are not rich, who are not powerful? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The white women celebrities themselves didn't co-opt the movement, right? The white women celebrities were survivors who came forward and told their stories and they had no idea what was gonna happen. They didn't come to co-op a movement, they didn't know I existed, not even Alyssa Milano. And so I hold no blame or anything towards them. But there is a white woman machine in this country. Let's talk <laughs> make about no it. Make no mistake. Mostly the mainstream media. So mainstream media took hold of hashtag me too. And um, certainly not a, a 40 something year old black woman from the Bronx. You're not the face of this. You're not the voice of it. Not for real. Like we can pull you out and prop you up and say, look, she's the founder. Cause we don't want to get in trouble. But when it comes down to it, we really want to talk about these powerful white men. Why? Why because is that? First of all, it, it, people will click on that. Well, we want to know, is Matt Lauer ever going to work again? Can Louis C.K. ever tell jokes? What's going to happen? But it's sort of a dog whistle to these other powerful men. They're going to come and get you. Who's going to get Me Too next? So that's really the message that's being put out every time one of these stories hit the media. And so the backlash got so big that it's like, this Me Too movement has gotten out of hand. 
it's just gotten ridiculous. When really what's happening is that people are coming out, finally finding a space where they can tell a story that they haven't been able to tell for years and years and years. But in that, there's no space for black women. There's no space for native women who really have the highest rate of sexual violence in this country. There's no space for any marginalized group to tell the real story of what's happening in this country around sexual violence. I want to read you some tweets, you know, black, that black women have tweeted about Me Too in, okay. in the way that they... These are not mean tweets, right? They're not mean, okay. but they're critical. <laughs> but not of you. No, okay. Not of you. It's fine, it's fine. Um, one describing it as a social cause turned performative by white women. Mm. Someone else saying, I didn't want white women using that hashtag because I knew they'd twist it into a power play. It's ruined. How do you feel when you hear that? I feel sad. I know they're not critical towards me, but it's hard when it's something that I created for black women. I think sometimes when I talk to sisters, I try to say, we turn our power over sometimes, right? Just because white women have access to a thing doesn't mean that they have the thing. So if you acknowledge me as the founder, and more importantly, as the leader of it, and I say, I created this for you. Yes, white women have a big voice. They have, and they take, they can take up a lot of space. But if you are looking at me and saying, sister, we know you created this, and I'm saying, and I created it for you, and you're like, but they have it, but they have it. So what do we do now? And I'm saying, why do you care? It's still yours. There's still utility in it for you. Why do we let them take our power away? So what they have it? So now it can't be yours? It was started for you. And it's for all survivors, really. But at the center of it, this is what black feminism taught me. You start with the least of these so that everybody gets served. I put black women at the center of this movement knowing that everybody would get what they need. So instead of saying, it got taken and co-opted by, by white women saying, this is ours, we take ownership of this, and yeah, sure, you can have it too because it's, it's, there's utility for everybody, but we don't have to throw up our hands and turn our power. And when we say believe survivors, listen to survivors, right? You know, people don't realize that for all of these years when a, when a woman came forward, nobody would even listen to us. If you start with the premise of telling the truth, that means you investigate, you take it seriously to get to the bottom of it. So then do you think that's the biggest accomplishment of the hashtag MeToo movement, is getting to a place where at least survivors felt heard? I think that's one of the accomplishments. I think that giving space for survivors to breathe their stories into the world is a huge accomplishment that I think folks don't understand how big that is. That most, most survivors thought they were gonna take their stories to their grave. And being able to breathe life into that story and into the world, out of their bodies into the world, is huge. Um, then taking it to a second step and having somebody listen and take it seriously and then believe them is major. So many black women haven't had that experience yet. So, And even, we can talk about Hollywood. I've had so many black women in Hollywood pull me to the side, you know, and whisper in my ear, it's heartbreaking how much they still don't feel the safety that these white women feel in coming forward. How much they know that they won't be held up by the community and protected. So no, we have not 
enjoyed that same freedom since the hashtag went viral. Maybe in our private communities in some ways, but not in the same way. When we come back, the hard conversations. Have white women and black men been allies to women of color, or are they part of the problem? Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And stand up she did. That was famed women's rights leader, Fannie Lou Hamer, who laid the groundwork for future activists. Welcome back to our conversation with Tarana Burke, founder of the Me Too movement. Tarana has been doing her work for decades on the ground, and two groups that have been intricately intertwined with her work have been white women and black men. But in the search for allies, black women are often left disappointed a challenge with working with white women, oftentimes they stay for the parts that has to do with their lives and their concerns. And by the time we get to the things that black women are specifically, you know, trying to address, then there is drama. The feminist movement has a long history of prioritizing white women's interests and disregarding the unique struggles that black women face. When we talk about black and white women, we're talking about communities who have very different historical situations and also historical relationships to the concept of feminism. Brandeis University professor Dr. Shaniqua Roach says most people understand feminism as having three waves, all defined by white women. So we have the first wave, which is about suffrage, right? So white women getting access to voting rights. And while white women were advocating for access to voting rights, black women, long before that, were advocating for abolition from slavery. Very different historical situations. The second wave, for equal pay, white women wanted fairness in the workplace outside the home, which meant women of color took over the labor inside those white homes. Third wave, that often gets defined by reproductive justice endeavors, specifically middle-class and elite white women's desires to not have to bear children. Meanwhile, black women, women of color, have a long history of reproductive exploitation at the hands of colonial state power. Black women have had to advocate for the right to have their children. So I think that makes possibilities for Allyship really difficult, not impossible, but difficult. In recent years, we've seen countless examples of a non-unified female population. In voting misalignment, where nearly half of white women voted for Trump in 2016, compared to less than 5% of black women. We've seen Karens calling the police on black children. She calling the police on an eight-year-old little girl. Yeah, and um, illegally selling water without a permit. And culture vultures casually rip off the creations of black women, making millions off appropriation from the Kardashians. So guys, I did Bodak braids. To TikTokers. I'm a bad bitch. 
regardless of what I do. I was born in 1950. You know what I expect of white women? Not a damn thing. The work of moving the needle forward for all women in this country has been undergirded by the labor of black women for many, 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 many decades in America. I'll give you a good example. The first time there was ever a testimony around violence against women, around sexual violence, was, was black women, formerly enslaved women, testifying in, um, in Congress about rape. They wouldn't let me go. I can't help but tell the truth what they done to me. I was begging them to leave me alone. <laughs> Don't shoot me. I got to go home to see about my baby. The history of, of anti-rape in this country started with black and brown women trying to keep our neighborhoods, our communities safe from sexual violence. And that's how rape crisis centers started and things like that in this country. Again, you don't hear those histories. What you see is white women as the face of it, white women in the front of it. You see, you know, Gloria Steinem as the face of, of feminism. But we have to say black feminism now so that people understand that black women are also feminists. But we are just feminists, period. But allies are very important. Mm -hmm. And allyship is very important. So then who are our allies? White feminism is a term for a way that people exercise their feminism. I think there are white feminists who are not um, exercising feminism in that way. Mm -hmm. Who are, who are feminists, who are true feminists, who believe in and, and practice their feminism in a way that is aligned with true feminist ideals. So I, and I think they are allies. I think who understand, you know, things like anti-racism or, or black humanity and things like that in a real way. I think yeah. those are our allies. We have to talk about the family conversation. When you were seven years old, was the first time that you were sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. And you made the decision not to tell your stepfather what happened mm -hmm. because you wanted to protect him from the consequences of hurting your attacker. Yeah. That was a calculation you made at seven years old. And that's a calculation that a lot of black girls and women continue to make their entire lives. Yeah. We've seen it countless times, black men being protected at the expense of black women. Megan Thee Stallion called a liar after revealing she'd been shot by Tory Lanez. R. Kelly supported by fans for decades. He's not guilty at all. They just want to bring him down and kill his image. Even after video emerged of what appeared to show him sexually assaulting an underage black girl. The impulse to protect black men has deep roots. A young black boy might, you know, steal some candy or do some, you know, childish thing for a child to be lynched or a black man to be lynched for some mistake they made. They're going to protect their black boys. But some say that protection isn't reciprocal. She marches for everyone else, riots for everyone else. But when it comes down to her, it ain't a muck. Insight. Many black women also feel that much like with white feminists, black men aren't great allies, often pushing women aside in the fight for civil rights. There has been some hesitancy for black men to accept black women as, as equal leaders. Historically, there's been this model of the charismatic black leader, the charismatic black male leader, sometimes the kind of militant black leader. That doesn't necessarily make a way for different types of leadership that you see from black women like the Ella Bakers, like the Fannie Lou Hamers. Black women are first of all socialized to be protectors. 
You see the way that black men are specifically targeted in our community. It's just this reality. It's this, it's just a truth that we cannot but deny. It's a long history. It's such a long history, it's undeniable. And so as black women, because we know that history and we want to protect our families, really, in our communities, we naturally are going, I'm not going to call the police because I know that as hard as this situation is right now, whether it's a domestic violence situation or a sexual violence situation, I don't want the penalty to be death. And that could really, that's a very real possibility. But sometimes even the speaking out is punished by the community. And I want to read what you wrote mm -hmm. about this. When you spoke out about R. Kelly. Mm, I didn't do this stuff. This is not me. I'm fighting for my life. Y'all killing me with this you said black men needed an opportunity to rise up in unison and say R. Kelly is not representative of black men and we absolutely reject him and remain committed to the upliftment and empowerment and protection of black women. But that didn't happen. So how do we reconcile that? I think that there's so much misinformation. There are so many people who can create their own soapbox. You can create a YouTube video or Instagram video or TikTok. And so you have all of these impressions out there. It's, it's misogyny compounded, sexism compounded. I think if you're in a serious relationship with a girl, she should not have an Instagram, that's cheating. Why is everyone sitting here coddling women from their poor decisions? And it's working, right? It's working. And so you have these what could have been a barbershop conversation that's now all over the internet. And so a person like R. Kelly comes out and now you have a whole world of people who are like, no, you're trying to take down that black man. Let's take a step back and look at this through a lens of reality. R. Kelly is not Emmett Till, y'all, right? This is, not, this is not the Central Park Five. We have to use nuance and reality, but that's almost impossible in the world of social media. What a lot of black women are often disappointed by is that black men, they don't feel, are protecting them in the same way that black women are protecting black men. How do we get black women protected? First of all, I think we need to talk really plainly about what we mean by protection. You know, I think that we don't, we're not having enough conversations with each other that don't feel like we're at war. And maybe we're gonna argue a little bit, maybe there's gonna be some conflict, and, but, we, but we have to get to a place where we can have safe spaces for broader, bigger, and, and, but nuanced conversations. And then let's talk about what we mean by protection. Well, what we mean is when Meg Thee Stallion says, I've been shot in my foot, let's not debate about that. When we come back, black women have had enough of putting themselves at the back of the line. How Me Too is embracing me first. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to our conversation with Tarana Burke, founder of the Me Too movement. These days, we've been seeing a slight shift in activism, one where black women are saying me too and me first. I'm really tired of black women starting movements and then that movement getting co-opted by non-black people and then black women's issues and 
their likeness is completely pushed away from it. Black women are tired and for good reason. In Black communities, we are inherently matriarchal because of systemic oppression and also because of the practices of our ancestors. And so many Black women, especially thinking about Black mothers, have had to sacrifice, put themselves to the side, hold up entire foundations and communities. Don't ever be afraid. We are enough. For generations, Black women have been the backbone of not just their own families, but other families too. I love you, Miss Rosaline. For decades, the majority of working Black women employed as domestic workers, cooking, cleaning, and taking care of other people's kids. Sisters, look at I made. I reckon when you finish it won't. Thank you. Today, Black women work outside the home at higher rates than any other group of women, and more than 80% of Black mothers are the primary breadwinners, all while being among the lowest paid groups in the country. Black women are graduating from college at twice the rate of black men. They are a political force credited with getting President Biden into office and demanding our first black female vice president and Supreme Court justice. Not to mention being the tastemakers and trendsetters for the world. Barbara Howard, I teach kindergarten. Yes! Damn, genetics are wild. But all of this comes with a cost. According to the National Institutes of Health, black women report much higher levels of stress than white women. They also have higher rates of obesity, heart disease, and diabetes. All problems caused or made worse by stress. Leisure is a human right, and a lot of people don't know that. So many Black women are tired and need rest. It really is a human right. Not just the Black women who have access to stainless steel refrigerators and live in those nice luxury apartments we see on TikTok. No, I'm talking about the girls who be at the corner store, the girls who be at the beauty supply stores, the single mothers, the women who are discarded. I'm talking about all of us. Everybody deserves leisure and rest. And that's really the direction that we're, we're going in as a movement. Now, a lot of black women are simply saying no to anything that doesn't serve them as a way of saying yes to themselves. So I no longer have the desire to be the strong one anymore. It's known as the soft life, prioritizing rest and mental health, setting boundaries, asking for help, and refusing to be all things to all people. I don't know who needs to hear this, but that whole strong black woman narrative it, it, it doesn't apply to me. I live a soft life. I am a dainty princess. I will fall out huh, at the drop of a minor inconvenience. What's happening now is that Black women are not standing for being put to the side. We are centering ourselves in the conversation. We have been told we must be decentered. We're saying no. You must see us. You must hear us. You must revere us. Every generation sheds away with a little bit more of what doesn't serve us. And black people, African-American people, we have 400 plus years of trauma, trials, starvation, and essentially death being spoken over our lives. As we approach progress as a society, every generation begins to shed some of those layers. Black women prioritizing love, peace, rest, and joy is nothing short of revolutionary. What's your reaction to that? That young black women are now realizing they don't have to leave themselves behind. I am so encouraged by the way I see young black women 
embracing that concept nowadays. What I've seen from the young women now is they are embracing things like rest and joy as um, second nature, right? It's just a non-starter for them. It's like, no, we are not going to have, I'm going to do this work, but I'm definitely not going to forget myself. And I think, not I think, I know the way that I came into this work was like, you do this at all costs, you put yourself second. That was definitely the message. I remember when I got pregnant and I had all of these different elders telling me that it was the, it was selfish and that it was um, counter-revolutionary even. I, I remember people telling me that. Like, I have, you have work to do, sister. To have a baby? Oh, yeah. This is not the time. This is not the right time. You don't have to leave yourself behind. My child is a free child, right? Is a definitely free child and will not, wouldn't stand for leaving themselves behind. Makes all kind of choices that's about their own um, safety and sanity and freedom first, but also believes in community, believes in liberation, and believes in and and fighting for the rights of their people. And how are all of those things, all the things you just mentioned, rest, joy, self-love, how are those actually aligned with activism and revolutionary principles? It's completely aligned because what happens when we get to this utopia, this place, when we find liberation, we're going to cross the finish line and, and fall out and die? And collapse. Right. <laughs> right? Those are completely aligned. You have people coming out of black, the Black Power Movement and the Civil Rights Movement. These people have no pension. These people have mental health issues. These people's lives have been torn to shreds because they put their bodies on the line for us. And I feel like it is counter-revolutionary. I think it's unethical to ask people to put their bodies on the line every day, to put their mind, their spirit, their bodies on the line for our liberation and not offer them healing and not offer them rest because this work is hard. This work tears away at your spirit. It tears away at your body. It tears away at all the parts of you that should be healthy and whole just to do the work. So we have to build in parts of it that are about increasing our joy, protecting our joy, protecting our wholeness, protecting our heart, making sure we have healing. Because the whole point of liberation is so that we can live liberated lives. So much happens on the backs of black women that we don't get acknowledged for. Our labor gets used and then we get sort of tossed out with it. And so, but I do think the difference is, like I said, we know it now and we stand up and we're way more um, resistant to it and we kind of push back in a different way than we probably did before. So in some ways, do you see Me Too evolving into Me First? Me Too is about Me First. I don't think it has to evolve into that because Me Too, the Me Too movement that I created is about healing and action. If you are a survivor that is working on healing your own trauma, healing your own wounds, that's movement enough. That's movement work enough. Because then you become a living, breathing example for what's possible for other survivors. I think what people don't understand is when somebody's life is torn apart by sexual violence, that is ongoing violence. Every day that you get up and have to deal with that, that violence is still living in us. So ending sexual violence is just not about we have to stop. Yes, we do. Every 68 seconds in this country, there's another act of sexual violence. Every 68. Every, every 68 seconds. So not even seconds. two minutes go by. Not even two minutes go by. We want to stop that clock, for sure. 
But every time that clock ticks and another survivor is created in this country, that is somebody whose ongoing trauma is happening. So ending sexual violence also means ending the violence that's happening in our body ongoing. That is another responsibility. So if all I do is work on healing that violence that is continuing in my body, that's movement work too. When we come back, Ladies First, a group of Gen Z and millennial black women open up about what convinced them to prioritize themselves and how it's changed their approach to everything from work to relationships. Black women have led to the point of their own destruction and it's something that, it, it saddens me deeply. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Black women are increasingly putting themselves first, dropping the label of strong black woman in favor of the soft life. So what does all of this mean for those who have come of age in the era of Me Too? I sat down with a group of Gen Zennials to get their take on all of this. So by a show of hands, who here feels that women are more empowered to speak up about sexual assault today than they were before Me Too became mainstream? Um, and to the second point about black women, do you feel like Me Too empowered black women specifically to speak up? So where's the disconnect? What happened? I, I think a large part, and this is in my experience, um, there's a lot of victim blaming still. I think for um, folks who are typically white women, who are thin, um, individuals who are cisgender, when they speak up about these things, they're believed. But when black women speak up, you're immediately considered, well, what did you do? How did you get in that situation? You're held insults, you're called a slut, or, or there's all these other pieces. So even though it's um, maybe more available for women to speak up, black women have always been forced to exist outside of what it means to be a woman by being black and a woman. And I just feel like that moment, I think for me too, um, for myself, when I learned that Tarana Burke had created me too, it definitely softened how I felt about it. More people were coming up to speak about their experiences, but now it's like, okay, um, society is kind of choosing who to believe and what pieces of your story they want to believe. Yeah. They kind of like bully you into making you feel like you shouldn't have spoken in the first place. And that's a lot of, especially in social media. Um, for example, Megan, um, when she came out, she went through a whole lot coming from black women, um, white women, black men, white men, everybody in general. And when the court case came, I'm like, Tori, won this, bro. Meg the Stallion all over the place. She lying on Gail King. They found the innocent men guilty because they didn't want 
the public outcry that was to come if they found him innocent. They made her feel like she took too long or the fact that she's actually, she was actually not too hurt because as a black woman, in order for people to believe you, you have to be completely at your lowest for them to believe you. You can't be okay with whatever happens to you and expect people to feel like you were hurt at the same time. Do you guys know who Angela Davis is? Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, Do we know? Mother. The doctor. <laughs> I don't make any assumptions. Um, so we have a soundbite from her about black women that I would love to get uh, your reaction to. Activist Tarana Burke, who gave the movement its name, um, of course says that concrete change has been incremental in terms of black women in the movement. Why do you think black women have been left behind or in what ways do you feel like they have been left behind with these larger social movements? Black women have always been key mm -hmm. to radical conceptions of social justice. Absolutely. Uh, black women um, uh, never struggle only for themselves. Mm -hmm. They always uh, struggle and sometimes at the expense of leaving themselves behind you know, for the family, for the community. Right. And this is uh, an important era for young black women because mm -hmm. they're recognizing now that they do not have to leave themselves behind. Yeah. They can write themselves into uh, the narrative. Black women have been so strong, too strong, that to the point where they stand out and say, okay, well, it's time for me to take a break. People are like, wait, you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be doing all of this and all of that. Like, you can't take a break because we're always the one up front doing what has to right. be done. And when it's time for us to say that we're tired and we need a break, it's like, what? You don't get a break. You get to work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are your, what's we your are reaction? The pillars, the pillar of the family, the, like, the backbone of everything. And we're tired. I want to do all these things for everybody else and forgot to take care of myself. You're talking about the idea of putting me first, which Absolutely. is something that we talked, we spoke to Tarana Burke about, and we have not necessarily seen that with previous generations. You know, they were, in terms of activism, black women, yeah. you know, they're putting everybody else first. Um, what do you think you've seen from previous generations that have brought you to this point, which we're hearing a lot, it seems there's a shift, of saying, no, I'm gonna take care of me first, I'm gonna rest, I'm going to find my joy, and these are all part of radical action. I don't know if I've seen it from previous generations, and, and, and but I've seen it from Gen Z, right? As much as I roll my eyes at Gen Z, they're like, yeah, no, um, days off, self-care, me time. And I'm like, you're, you're absolutely correct. So I don't really know if previous generations really understood or showed us self-care and balance, right? Getting your hair done on Fridays was self-care, but is that really, that's maintenance. That's mm. not really self-care, right? <laughs> Getting your nails done is maintenance. Yeah. So how do you how did you get to that point and for you it's it's been kind of an evolution cuz you you know what life is like where you don't give yourself permission to rest and take care of yourself the way you need to and it sounds like you've kind of evolved to a place where now you you've embraced that but you also got there your starting point may have been a little bit different how do you get to the point how have you gotten to the point where you allowed that what what what, what brought you to that point oh honestly health and last night I spent the evening with Shonda Rhimes and she told me she gets eight hours of sleep mm. every evening. And I said, wow, she can get eight hours of sleep, so can I, right? Mm -hmm. So I've got to make use of, better use of my, my daytime. But I need sleep and also my health. Like I, I'm struggling right now. I was telling them earlier I have fat fibroids, black woman problems, right? And I'm just like, take a break. Nobody's gonna die. Like the computer, your, your, your team is pretty efficient, right? You wouldn't have hired there, trust, trust them. 
Um, and just take a moment to unplug and everything will be okay. I, I work full time. I teach poetry every day in the South Bronx. So I leave my house at like 7 a.m. I'm in grad school, I freelance, I consult, like I'm, I'm getting there, I'm trying to. I think also just like with the realities of like, I make less than my peers. Like the thought of like what it means to take a break like freaks me out because I don't have the same social supports mm -hmm. and networks if it means like if I crash, I gotta get me up. What do you make of the idea that for the two of us, that sounds incredibly revolutionary and also really refreshing and like, huh, why didn't I ever think of that? Like when you're tired, rest. Mm. <laughs> like that is not something that we grew up with. Black women have led to the point of their own destruction and it's something that it, it saddens me deeply um, because as much as we were at the forefront of a lot of the movements, like the we aren't who's always centered. And now black women are saying, well, what about us? Like we, we lift everybody up, up. And you know, the idea was that like if we bring, if black women, black men get their liberation, then we're next. And that wasn't how it planned out. But then we said, okay, well, if it's just us and we have each other, then we'll support each other and we'll make sure that we are good. And so I, I love that that's ha been happening. Um, also, if you are in a space right now where you feel like you need to take a break, that is your body telling you to take one. And sometimes it's hard to fight the guilt of it. What I've learned is like rest will, it is revolutionary and it's necessary. I didn't get that in my 20s at all. Yeah. I, I, I was waiting for my job to love me back. Mm. And it took me a while to learn that my job was never gonna love me back. And that's not where you should be seeking love. You can yeah. seek a lot of things for work, but you know, love comes from other things. Um, and I love that you guys get that. Yeah. I love that. So thank you for, for teaching us. When we come back, the black sheroes that you need to know about. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's. Welcome back to our conversation with Tarana Burke, founder of the Me Too movement. Before we go, we wanted to hear about the women who inspire Tarana. I always start with my grandma and my mother and my child. The women in my family were my first big heroes. And the women from 21st Century Youth Leadership Movement who raised me to be a, a leader and an activist. Certainly in the activist space, Fannie Lou Hamer from the Civil Rights Movement was an early role model. Diane Nash, you talk about unsung heroes. She is one of the architects of the civil rights movement whose name never gets called. She was in the movie Selma as a character, but her role wasn't played up to the extent that it was in the movement. We often show women from movement spaces as just the moral character and whatever, but she was a strategic mind who um, helped move the, the movement forward. So I love Diane Nash. My first big heroes were literary heroes because I was a big, avid reader, so Toni Morrison. We are already born. We are going to die. So you have to do something interesting that you respect in between. And Tazaki Shange, Alice Walker, Toni K. Bambara, those are the women who I read as a child who helped me shape my mind. Maya Angelou. It's in the reach of my arms the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. 
I'm a woman. Phenomenal. Well, you're on that list for a lot of women. Oh, thank you. Know you. <laughs> thank you to Tarana for sharing her story and thank you for watching. I'm Mara Escampo. Please be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Revolt on YouTube, our Revolt Black News podcast, and don't forget to download the Revolt app. Until next time, good night, everybody. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.